you, Jesus, for your presence today. Hallelujah. You may be seated. It is an honor to be here with you today. Orphan Run for Hope is one of about seven items in my uh, assistant international youth director portfolio. I, I have, uh, you, may, you may be familiar with some of these things that I rattle off to you. I can tell you I do not lack for work. I have, to, to quote Bishop Rob Bailey, my, our director, our international director, he said, Brian, I'm giving you a robust portfolio. I go, robust? That sounds like it's not going to lack anything. <laughs> international teen and junior talent. If you've ever been part of teen or junior talent, uh, this summer, uh, the, the last week of July into the first week of August, uh, any of those state winners and runners-up from uh, ENC, uh, they're eligible to be there. I hope to see uh, them there. And uh, we're going to have a great week of um, talent on display on the campus of Lee University. And uh, then I have Orphan Run for Hope. I also um, am part of... Um, the uh, YWEA ministries um, in different aspects of that. Uh, Bishop Rob Bailey and I and our spouses were able to go to Guadalajara, Mexico, and actually meet up with the local church that God birthed this prenatal care center. One of the interesting things about Guadalajara, Mexico, is it is the highest, it has the highest abortion rate um, of, of young women from their teens into their early 20s. And so God put it in the heart of a local pastor. And we're coming in as the Church of God Youth and Discipleship with that church as one of five of the things that your pastor mentioned. And so we were able to be there and see what God's doing. And it's so incredible in that community. There is hope in that community now. Instead, you know, when, when a, a, a young woman uh, may think, you know, there's no hope. I'm just going to uh, abort this child. She knows now there's a church in that town, in that community she can go to for help, medical assistance. We got to see all those facilities, and we're going to really enhance that. And do the work. Semi suit, as Pastor mentioned, I've been there three times to Quito, Ecuador. It is the most amazing facility, and and students from all over South and Central America go there to Quito, Ecuador for training in ministry, and then they launch out from there. So there's a, there's many facets to this year's. Um, YWA project, but I just want to say publicly from Bishop Rob and us at the office, thank you for giving. Thank you, Pastor, for being intentional. Um, you said it. Pennies and coins, people don't think that adds up, but it's amazing uh, what that does to go toward and then to see what God's doing uh, through ministries like Orphan Run for Hope. And I appreciate all the hard work and effort that you guys put into that. As I said to everybody yesterday, just because the race was yesterday doesn't mean the giving stopped. We keep those links open for another month. And so my prayer is that God will bless you and that uh, you'll have a heart and passion to see other people become part of that. And, um, and God is just doing amazing works uh, all through Youth and Discipleship. We're so thankful um, for all those things that God is doing in and through us. And you guys are part of it. When I pastored in Florida, I always conveyed to my church, we are not just here. It's not just in these four walls. And, uh, you know, when you, when you even, even when you tithe, Part of that tithing goes to support missions around the world. And, and it's a beautiful thing when I see people who are, have been in the part of the church of God their whole life and they've never been to Cleveland, Tennessee to see the headquarters and see what's going on. But then to go there and to see all those ministries and know that it is so much bigger than where we are locally. And you're part of that. And you're part of the kingdom work. 
that God is doing there. And so I just want to thank you for uh, that support and thank you for your prayers. I'm praying for you uh, at, e at ENC. Um, I, I served as a state youth director for 19 years in three states, Arizona, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Before that, I served two years as a pastor, and before that, I served 10 years as a local church youth pastor. Can I tell you that youth is my heart? I said God has a sense of humor. When I was called into pastoral ministry, I told my wife, I go, finally, somebody else can take care of those kids. Finally, I get to engage with adults. I get to have adult conversations. And I know God was laughing because I didn't know his plan. And two years later, while serving on the youth board in Florida, working a third week of camp that I wasn't even supposed to be at, someone got sick and the director asked me to come back and work. And I'm sitting there with my wife and the bishop walks in and whispers in our ear, I want you to be state youth directors. And I, like, I just look. I go, but I just bought a house last year. It's my first home I've ever lived in. I've lived in church parsonages. Do you know how ugly some parsonages are? I, I said, Bishop, I'm only repeating what my wife has said. You know, like you can't do anything with them. They're not yours. You just have to grin and bear it. I said, do you know that I've given 10 years of my life to teenagers? And I said, I'm just tired. I've enjoyed my pastoral ministry. I've enjoyed all of this. I've enjoyed all of this. He goes, yes or no? And I look across the table at my wife, and as husbands who are married to wives have that nonverbal communication, her right eyebrow raised, and that raised eyebrow meant, you better remember what I asked you 10 years ago. And I looked at him and I said, that wife of mine right there asked me that question 10 years ago at our first church, sitting in our living room. Have you ever thought about state youth and discipleship work? He goes, what did you say to her 10 years ago? I said, I looked at her and said, if that's God's plan, I won't speak of it, I won't write a letter, and I won't make a phone call. If it's God's plan, it'll fall in my lap. And he goes, it's in your lap. Now let me tell you a little side story before I get into the Word. There's this thing called obedience to God. And when you're obeying God and you speak things, you have to be careful what you speak. Because in the prophetic world, sometimes your very words are prophetic and you don't even know it. Because God will work His plan and take your words to speak right back to you. Sometimes we seek God for a word and God's already given us a word. It's our own word. And I looked at him and I said, okay, we're in. We're in. I didn't know then that the two-year pastoral journey was preparation for what God wanted to do in my life. And I only say that for this reason. Can I tell you, it's a, you're a lot more effective to minister to people and minister in situations when you've walked the path. Sometimes the path we're walking, we want off of it because it's not pleasing. And we're not happy about it. And God's going, it's not about you and it's not about right now. It's about what I'm getting you ready for down the road. And so then we look back and, and I, I look back now after those 19 years and I said, God, thank you for that pastoral ministry. You know why? Because as a state youth director, that youth director 
has to engage with pastors. And I, I teach this to new youth directors and, and, and youth pastors. I say, you think the youth pastor and the children's pastor is the key that opens the door to that local church. You're wrong. It's the pastor because he's the shepherd. And it all flows from the top. That's God's order. And so I thank God for those two years of pastoral ministry because I walked there and I realized one day when a huge adverse situation hit my church about six months into my pastoral ministry, I remember walking in my office and literally, I was by myself, you think this is crazy, but I walked in and I, I looked behind my desk and I walked around the room and I said, God, I'm looking for the senior pastor of this church. So I can dump this problem on him and go back to my ministry. And it's like Nathan the prophet said to David when he sinned. He goes, God said, you are the man. You are the man. There are things in our life that God wants us to experience to prepare us for what he's going to let us encounter. And sometimes it's not even about us. It's about us ministering to somebody else. It's about us walking with somebody else. And so today, thank you, Pastor, again. Thank you both for this invitation. I'm so glad you're here today. I want to share a word with you, and um, it's, it's a question. The sermon title is literally a question. And this is the question. Are you combustible? Are you combustible? Combustible means able to easily catch fire and burn. The things that are combustible are called fuel. Fuel. So are you combustible? And if you define the word fuel, it is material, such as coal, gas, or oil, that is burned to produce heat, light, or power. And Jesus said these words. You are the light of the world. Put it all in perspective. You are the light of the world. And so light is produced when a substance or fuel encounters fire. I thought about prior to our redemptive work, the redemptive work and encounter with Christ, we were all in darkness. There was no light. We're living in darkness. We're walking in darkness. And there was potential within us to produce light. The potential was there. But because we rejected the fire of the Holy Spirit that draws us to the Father, we remained and found ourselves as sinners in that initial state of darkness. How many of you remember when you walked in darkness? You remember those days? Remember the misery of those days before Christ? And so the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. This is what he said, And that is what some of you were. Past tense. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Our God. Look at your neighbor and say, I am fuel. I am fuel. And, and you know, the fact is there are many types of fuel. Some of them actually burn clean. And some of them burn dirty. Natural gas. 
the cleanest of all the fossil fuels. Coal, the dirtiest of all the fossil fuels. Responsible, in fact, for the greatest global rise in temperature if you're an environmentalist, which I'm not. <laughs> and if you are, hooray for you. Truth moment. Some days in life, some days in ministry, pastors, some days in our relationship with God, some days we feel like we are just a natural when it comes to our ability to lead others, when it comes to the blessings that God has given us. It's like there's not even a hint of smoke anywhere in our life. And the work that we're producing and all the things that are going forth for the Lord in our life is just pristine. No one is choking on our ministry. <laughs> no one is, is suffering because of our personal relationship with God, uh, because of our leadership. And, and our leadership is it's not, it's not putting off harmful toxins, our life. Have you ever met anybody that puts off harmful toxins? Not pleasant to be around that smog. And, and so our leadership and our decisions and our walk with God as an individual, it's not even raising the temperature around us, creating anxiety for anybody. In fact, it's like we're burning clean. Think about that analogy. We're burning clean. But then there are those seasons in life and ministry when, like me, sometimes I just feel like a lump of coal. I mean, that's what it feels like. I look around, and everything I try to do is falling flat. Every word I say is taken the wrong way. It's like my life, wherever I walk, is creating stress and anxiety for somebody. And, and, and in those seasons, uh, you know, every time I'm ignited by the fire of the Holy Spirit, and I set in motion those steps and those strategies and those actions toward what I feel like God is calling me to do, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm surrounded by environmental activists. I use that word because it kind of draws your mind to what you've seen on TV. And people are standing out there with placards and they're yelling. And, and it feels like, why is it, God, that right now in my life, you know, I'm burning like a lump of coal? That's what it feels like. And it's like we're killing everything. But I want you to remember this. You are not the first person to experience that. You are not. There are others who have walked that same path. And so when I look into a leader's life, I look at the book of Judges. And I want you to go with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And this person that we look at is a guy who encountered fire and he produced light. In Judges chapter 6, beginning uh, at, at verse 11, we talk about and, and read about a man, I'm not going to jump all the way into the whole story there, but this is the story of a man named Gideon. And when we think about Gideon, we look at his life and we understand that the first place we find him, according to the Word of God, is hiding in a wine press. Wait a minute. This is a man of God who is hiding. How many of you are old enough to remember that old song from Sunday school, Hide It Under a What? No, I'm going to let it shine. 
I'm going to let it shine. Gideon isn't letting anything shine. He is in a wine press and he is threshing out wheat and he's trying to salvage just some remnant of sustainable energy for his survival. And it was in that moment that God spoke to his identity. God spoke to him. And what did he say to him? He said, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. And this angel had to remind him of his great potential as a fuel source for the kingdom and purpose of God. He identified him as a mighty man of valor. Everyone say identity. Sometimes we forget our identity. Now, if you had kids, my boys are seven years apart, so I had the great privilege of experiencing Disney movies with a big gap in between. So, number one, son, was Jungle Book. And it was VHS, and he played it. Over and over and over and over. Until if I wasn't in the pulpit and we were in the parking lot, I could sing you every word to every song on that VHS. I know every one of them. You know how? Just complete obliterate, I mean just bombardment in my brain. But then son number two, seven years later comes along and we have moved on from Jungle Book to Lion King. And the same can be said for that VHS. I know all those songs. And when I think about Lion King, what you know where I'm probably going, I think about the lion who forgot his identity. And if you remember the part of the movie, it took the baboon with the whack to his head to bring him back to his senses. How many times has God had to give us a good whack in the head spiritually to tell us, who we are in Christ. Because we let our circumstances put us in places that we don't belong, nor did God intend. And if you really want to get down to it, you don't thresh out wheat in a wine press. And so we find ourselves in this place like Gideon. And the angel of the Lord came to him and identified who he was and he declared over him, you are a mighty man of valor. And so today I want you to know that God spoke to his identity. So if you're somewhere today that you really are just miserable, it might be beneficial to ask yourself the question, am I where I'm supposed to be? And am I being who God has called me to be? Or have I lost my identity? When you ask God that question, God always speaks. God always speaks. He's always speaking. We're not always listening. And so He will tell you who you are. He will remind you who you are. One of the most powerful identity moments in my personal life was when I was standing like right here in my second church as youth pastor, and my second child, Brandon, was born, and we were dedicating him to the Lord. The most profound experience in identifying who I am happened that day. Because as my grandmother and granddad stood beside, and her head, her, her body was by his head, and the pastor began to pray 
the Holy Spirit began to speak through my grandmother. And the word of the Lord came forth. And this is what the word of the Lord said. The Lord said, and this is the word to me. The Lord said, today I have established your name through these your sons. What the yon name used to be will be no more. Because today I have established your identity. And you say, what does that mean to you? It didn't mean anything to anybody in the church except my family. But I'm going to tell you what it meant to me. What it meant to me was that I, the only offspring son of four Yon brothers, the only male of four brothers named Yon, the only one who God sovereignly lifted me out of that situation that I was in and put me with my mother's parents to raise me from three years old in a godly, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, Church of God family to teach me the ways of the Lord. God delivered me from that situation. And that situation looked something like this. Yon brother number one, a life in prison for attempted murder. Yon number two, More years in prison than out of prison for constantly dealing, selling, and using drugs. Yon number three, my dad. Abusive, manipulative, shot and killed by his lover that he was having an affair with when I was three years old. Yon number four, the only one who actually did something with his life, but never gave his life to Christ until several years ago when he called me, and never called me a day in my life. Called me, 803 area code. I'm like, who's calling me from South Carolina? I don't know. I know it's South Carolina. Who is this? Hello, this is your Uncle Irvin. I'm dying with lung cancer. I'm calling you because I want you to help me find Jesus before I die. I led him to the Lord. Thank God for that. But that yawn name, I say it like this in Langley, South Carolina, it's a four-letter word. It's a four-letter word, Y-A-U-N. But it means every other four-letter word you can think of. That's the way society in my town thinks about yawn. But that day, the Spirit of the Lord said, I'm changing your identity. Can I tell you that my sons love the Lord, their God, with all their heart? They're serving God. They're in their church. Can I tell you that oldest son, number one, has two boys whose name will always be Yon, who I pray over, who have a legacy to live out because God changed our identity I don't care what your identity is, what your pedigree may or may not be. You may wish you were a standard poodle, but you're a mutt from the side of the road whose name is Heinz 57. What matters is what God says about you and who God declares you to be. Because when you know your identity, everything changes. The angel said you are a mighty man of valor, Gideon. What are you doing here? Secondly, the angel also spoke to his ability. In in Judges 6 and 14, he said, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Can I tell you, the angel reminded him not only who he was, but he said also, You have might 
and you shall save. That speaks to ability. You may think and feel like that you have no ability. But I'm going to tell you, when you know who you are, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That is our identity and it is our our ability. He said in verse 16 of Judges chapter 6, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. As one man. What a powerful thought about God's ability in our life. I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian. Everyone say reality. That is reality. The enemy tells us all kinds of things that are not reality. But the Lord says this is the reality. Gideon, you will defeat them. You, people of God today. You, right here in this room. You just might be where Gideon was. You might be hiding away in some place that God never intended you to be. You might be uh, behind some closed door that you put yourself behind in your life thinking, I don't have the ability. I'm only here because someone said something that offended me and hurt my feelings when I tried to step out and do something. Who cares? Who cares? My wife says to me all the time, boy, I wish I could be like you. You know what she's meaning by that? I don't care. I said, God put a holy duck oil on my skin. And stuff hits and then rolls off. Because when I lay my head on the pillow at night, in 30 seconds, I am unconscious. My wife says to me, Brian, I want you to watch this video. I said, what is it? She goes, it's you. I go, why are you recording me? She goes, just watch the video. She goes, forget the video. Watch the timestamp." She presses play. And I'm looking at the timestamp. 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. She goes, you make me so mad. (laughs) I go, Kathy, if you just let the weight of the world roll off you when you lay your head down. She goes, I can't. (laughs) Reality. Reality. God is for us. God is with us. Like Gideon. Like Gideon. So many times in our life, what we need is a visitation from the Lord. It was a visitation of the Lord that brought him back into reality, that helped him understand his identity, that gave him courage to believe that he had ability. And it speaks to who we are. We are a fuel source for the Lord. We are combustible for the Lord. And it redirects us in our life to once again encounter and desire to encounter the fire of God so that we produce light. How do we encounter the fire of God? I believe Gideon shows us some action steps that he took. First of all, the Word says that he prepared his offering. He prepared his offering. And then he presented his offering. You know, I thought, how many times have I prepared my sermon or my talk, or my lesson, and I've presented the same to the people, my audience, and yet there was absolutely no sign of light, or fire, or life. When you have to preach three times a week, and back in 2000 and 2000 to 2002, the church I was at, I was bringing three sermons a week to the audience. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
I was frankly exhausted. I can't tell you how many times I walked out of church thinking, well, that was a bum. That meant nothing to anybody. I mean, I said, God, did you see their faces? Five of them were asleep. One of them pinched his oxygen hose and it was making a hissing noise and I thought it was feedback in the speakers and I kept looking at the sound man and he's back there going, nobody can see what we're dialoguing about, you know, nonverbal communication and then I finally see what's going on. His wheel is on the hose and I'm like, God, help me today. Did you do anything, God, in anybody's life today? Can I tell you? That the word of the Lord that goes out does not go out without accomplishing what the Spirit desires. And so the Lord had to teach me that what He was doing through me and how He was working through me was ministering because it wasn't about me. It had nothing to do with me. I was just the mouthpiece. And God was doing His work. He said to Gideon, I will be with you. I will walk with you. I will keep you in all your ways. And so Gideon's action steps was he prepared the offering and then he presented the offering. And so as he presented the offering to the Lord, I believe that as he lay, look at Judges chapter 6 and verse 20, as he lay the offering on the rock, the word of the Lord says that it was consumed. You know, I thought about how in our lives, and I I, I throw a broad net, not just to pastors and, and not just to ministers, but to anybody who is in service to the Lord. Your life in relationship with the Lord. And what I think about in this is that when we think about being combustible, when we think about our lives being fuel for the Lord, and I, I think about all that we do, what God really wants from us is a sacrifice of praise to Him. What does that mean? It means everything I do, I lay it on the altar of the Lord. I present it to God first. And when God touches it, when God touches it, before I ever give it to anybody else, when God puts His hand on it, His finger on it, God will burn up what He doesn't want. And He will leave what he desires he leaves what he desires there's an old song that the line says let my words be few Jesus I am so in love with you let my words be few that really resonated with me because the truth is I think God thinks we talk way too much I think God thinks we say way too much But can I tell you that when the Spirit of the Lord touches your life and you become a light and the fire of God begins to burn in your life, all of a sudden that burning fire in you becomes so attractive to sinners, to lost people, to people who are in need. And they see the fire of God burning in your life. It draws them like a bug at night is drawn to a light. They are drawn to you. Sinners are drawn to true people of God. And when Gideon got up out of the wine press and he stepped out in his ability and his identity, he really knew who he was. He believed he could do what God said and he stepped out. All of a sudden, God brought an army to him that was unbelievable. 
I mean, he had workers left and right. There's no pastor I've ever known that said, I got too many workers. None. I've never heard a pastor say that. But can you think about Pastor Gideon? That day the Lord said, there's just too many workers for you, Gideon. If you'll just listen to me and present all of this to me, I will take care and I'll call out the ones that don't belong with where you're at in the mission I've called you to, and I will bring the warriors together with you. And God did it. You read that familiar story? He did it. He prepared every heart for what He wanted to do in the people's life, and every one of them became combustible, and they defeated the Midianites. When we present our offering to the Lord, we are saying to God that we are nothing without His touch. Doesn't matter what it is. We lay it before God. God, I am nothing without Your touch. And when God touches the things that we present to Him on the altar, the fire of His Holy Spirit will ignite and consume our offering. And those things that are left with us are the things that bring us peace. Judges 6 and 23 He said these words, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You know, Gideon was terrified when the angel departed. The fire consumed and the angel departed. All of a sudden he realized, I have been in the presence of God. I'm going to die. Here's the thing about it today. When you and I encounter the presence of God and the fire of God, we're not going to die. What we're going to do is become empowered. We're going to become combustible. We're going to become fuel that burns for Him. I think about the apostles and how before the day of Pentecost, before they were filled with the Spirit, boy, they burned like coal. Did they not? I mean, Jesus had to look and say, oh, one day you're going to become like natural gas. (laughs) One day you're going to get there. But it's going to take the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's anointing to turn things around. And oh, what a difference just an experience and an encounter with the Holy Spirit made in the life of of Peter when he stood and preached on the day of Pentecost and all those souls came to Christ. What a difference it made for Gideon when he encountered the fire of God. And can I tell you people of God today that our ministries and our witness will be powerless. Uh, There will be no fire. We will not be effective in how we lead and how we convey the message of Christ's love. And and it, it almost seems like our ministry and our witness will just choke the life out of things. But when we prepare our offering, what is our offering? Our offering is us. It is our life. When we present ourselves on the altar of the Lord, and then we wait on the Lord's fire, the Lord shows up. The Lord shows up. And He begins to move by His power. He begins to move. I asked the question at the beginning of this message, are you combustible? Do you burn clean for God? Or are there things in life that we might just need to lay on the altar? Things that we may lay... This past week, God's really been speaking to me. I I actually shared this with my wife, and I shared it with Bishop Brett Seals yesterday, and I was actually, this morning, I was in prayer, and I was praying about it. And, and what, I, what I said to the Lord was this. 
plain and simple. I said, Lord, it seems like you've got my life on a certain track. And if you're familiar with the church of God and how things work, I'm the assistant director right now. I have a term limit. Next summer at the General Assembly in Indianapolis, I'll be voted on. Maybe I'll be the international assistant director. My point is, there is a heaviness of responsibility that comes with the reality of God's assignment. That the church of God is worldwide. It's in over 170 countries. 8 million members. And I, I presently am the international assistant youth and discipleship director. I don't take that lightly. Because what I understand is that there are youth and children, pastors and leaders and youth all around the globe who identify with the church of God and somehow God put me here for this time in my life. And so that's been weighing on me for the last year and a half. And so I've been praying and I told my wife, I said the Spirit of the Lord really began to nudge my heart uh, about a thought, a prayer thought. And I said as I began to pray it, the Lord began to speak to me. And this is a testimony to you, but I believe it's the Spirit of God wanting you to hear what God's been saying to me because I think it's applicable to all of our lives. And what the Lord said to me, the Lord said, you know when the Lord speaks to us when we're praying? When we shut up. <laughs> I had prayed and prayed, and then I, I prayed out. There was no, I had nothing else to say. And so I am just got my face down in the mattress, and I'm kneeling by the bed, and I'm saying nothing. And then God started speaking. And this is what the Lord said to me. The Lord said, there is a wisdom that comes from life experience. It's the wisdom that you gained by being raised by your grandparents who were lay people in the church, who were like almost unannounced, unpaid pastoral assistants because they could be trusted. They were people of integrity. They were people of absolute confidentiality. So people in church who had struggles, young people, young married couples, teenagers, would come to them. And you had the privilege to sit and listen and identify how God used them to speak words. God said, there is a wisdom that comes from life experience. But then the Lord said, but there is a wisdom that I give you in the moment that you need it. In the very moment that you need it. The Lord said, when you're asked a question that you didn't know was coming, I can give you wisdom to speak in that moment. The Lord continued to talk to me. The Lord then said to me, the Lord said, because I know all things, the wisdom I give you in the moment is in accordance to my purpose. So what you speak is prophetic to what I'm going to do. And then the Lord said this, but that only comes when you seek me in the secret place where I dwell. And the Lord said, as I take you to different levels, you have to commit yourself to more time with me. So I give you that wisdom. So I give you that knowledge. And I give you the understanding. 
We can be combustible for God. We can be fuel for God. We can burn pure and clean for God. Every word that comes out of our mouth, every inclination of our heart and thought of our mind can be pure for God. But the wisdom that we live in, the wisdom that we work in, the wisdom that we walk in, the wisdom that we raise our children in, the wisdom that we honor our spouse with or our employer The wisdom that comes out of our mouth when we're at a cash register and the one in front of us is frustrating us because they obviously don't have any money in the account, but they try 50 times to use the card. And it's a zero balance. How the whole world sees us is indicative of our time alone with God. Are we combustible? Are we burning pure and hot for God? How do we get there? It comes from the secret place. I will take nothing for the life experience and the wisdom that I've been given. My grandma's 93 years old. She's still doling out wisdom. But I will tell you, there is a wisdom from God. That gives us assurance to live life every day. To know that because I've been with Him, He will pour it into me in the moment that I need it. In the second that I need it. Pastor, in the moment you need it to to speak life into a member of uh, of your church who's dealing with something. Somebody on the street. Anything. God gives it in the moment. What peace to know that God identifies us as mighty men and women of God who His Spirit lives in, who His Son has forgiven us of every sin, and He has called us and and says, not only do I identify you, but I speak ability over you. And we go in that might. The musicians come. I want to close. God desires... I believe above all things, God desires for us to walk in a place of freedom and a place of liberty. God desires us to walk in a place of absolute effectiveness where we're effective to do His kingdom work. And God wants us to get to those places. How many of you, just to show of hands, how many of you have a a certain place where God just seems to meet you? I mean a physical place. You got a place. I mean, for my grandma, it's her rocking chair. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you the words of the Lord that God has poured into that woman sitting in that rocking chair. And you say, I thought I had to be on my face or on my knees. No. One of the most powerful encounters I ever had with God was in a space about that wide in our gymnasium in Largo, Florida between the gym wall and a Coke machine and the steel beam of the building coming down right in front of me. I had my forehead planted on the metal plate and I'm standing back there in that hole praying and God came down and spoke to me about things that I was seeking Him at in that place. There are specific places 
But there is a familiar place, I believe, that we can set up and establish where we go to that place. You know what's important about that place? Here's what's important about it. What's important is that when we go to that place, God meets us there. When we don't go to that place, we miss that place because we see how our life is unraveling. And it won't, we're drawn back to that place. Often Jesus prayed in the garden. Often He went up on the mountain. It was a familiar place. I challenge you today, people of God, to not only know who you are in God, to hear the Word of the Lord declare over you that you have ability, but I challenge you to get a place in your life where God will speak to you deeply, intimately, and empower you to burn like fire for Him. Find the place. Find the place. Identify with the place. Visit the place often. Would you stand with me today? You know what I want this prayer of closing to be today? I want it to be a prayer of commitment. That's what this is all about. It's about commitment. It's about committing ourselves to the Lord God Almighty. It's about positioning ourselves in a place where God is going to pour His Spirit into our life. And we're going to be changed by His power and by His Spirit.